Welcome, everybody. Today, Dr. Kelly Victor and I will be welcoming Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long, whom testified at the Military Whistle Protection Act, or under that act, uh, that she had witnessed symptoms of myocarditis in pilots who had received the mRNA vaccine, and she was concerned they would die in flight. However, she was informed by her superiors that uh, those concerns perhaps were not going to be uh, pursued. Uh, and one morning, she says, I had to ground three out of three pilots due to vaccine injuries. So we're going to talk about that and her sworn testimony. I'll tell you more about her pedigree and background. Uh, and of course, we are out there on Twitter spaces. I'm watching you all on the restream. And of course, at the Rumble Rants, I'll be watching you there, there as well. And after I speak with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Long, of course, Dr. Kelly Vicky will step in and we'll hear from her as well. So let's get right to it. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy, you go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, you want to, oh boy. Oh, he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. And welcome to our Wednesday show. They're always very interesting. Uh, Caleb, can we put up the upcoming guest as well? I know we have Steve Kirsch coming in here tomorrow. We also uh, have um, Asim Malhatra next week, Megan Kelly on January 3rd, Byron Brindle the 4th, and February 1st, Dr. Ryan Cole comes back. He very kindly was on the 
uh, Twitter spaces yesterday. It was kind of interesting to get a little update from him. I had a chance to ask him about whether or not there was immunohistochemical changes that we could uh, document to tell us whether or not the proteins embedded in the endothelium that he was seeing in these patients who died of essentially endotheliitis, myocarditis, whether that also included uh, the fragments of spike protein, the malfolding spike proteins, which have sort of also, it's another category that has been sort of unattended to. I have lots of questions about. But I want to get to our guest right away. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about her. Is Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long, MD, MPH. She has served as U Army since 1991. She has a bachelor's in neuroscience from UT, a MD from UT as well, although, however, in Houston. She completed a residency in aerospace and occupational medicine at the U.S. Army School of Aviation, master's in public health from University of West Florida. She received her especially military training in the medical management of biological and chemical casualties, uh, as well as medical effects of ionizing radiation. She's also trained as an aviation safety officer and uh, as well as an Army flight surgeon, amongst other things. Please welcome Dr. Teresa Long. Hi, Dr. Drew. Thank you for having me on your show. It is a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Uh, before we get started, you had uh, a comment you wanted to make. Yes. Um, my, uh, my opinions are my own. They do not reflect that of the United States Army, the DOD, or any entity thereof. Has anything changed in terms of a willingness to kind of... So, so here's... Let me just frame it this way. We know that we rushed these vaccines out it was an emergency circumstance. It was an extraordinary time. Things were rolled out quickly. The usual process of use authorization, as well as just the usual practice of um, bioscience and how, how things are sort of assessed, all that was skipped in the name of getting this thing out as fast as possible. Why suddenly, when people see signals here and there, and ask questions, I wonder if there's something going on here. Why don't we go back and do the usual research proceedings that we would customarily do to look at whether any of these signals have validity? Why is that a sin now? Um, I'm not sure. That's a, that's a great question. And why we've deviated from all of our um, safety procedures and processes in place um, why we've completely abandoned risk management and all the principles of epidemiology. Um, it's, it's really uh, quite something to see. And um, anyone would, with a, a background in epidemiology um, would want the data on the emerging um, adverse events that are going on after this new novel technology uh, platform for for what they they are calling a, a vaccine um, was introduced not only in our military but across the country and around the globe um, and there doesn't seem to even be um, a healthy amount of scientific curiosity um, about the adverse events that we're seeing and the um, signals safety signals that are glaring um, in in every aspect. What are your most concerning signals? Um, my most concerning is um, that I have a fixed population um, of 4,000 people that are extremely healthy and fit. They're selected uh, for their health and fitness um, to be pilots. And um, I monitor the health of that population. And to have seen um, the, the health 
of that population uh, decline and to see um, upticks in, in things that in, in 30 years in the Army and 16 years as a, a practicing physician in the military, I had never seen such a clustering of very unusual things in, in such healthy young adults and especially young males. And so in the military, um, there are doctors that just happen to put on a uniform and there are, there are officers, there are army doctors. And so when you're trained to think about anything that could pose a threat to the health of our fighting force, um, you know, even, even if it was rolled out and all the, the regular safety um, systems had been in place and we had uh, taken the time to get this right, um, you still should be monitoring. There's a reason that vaccine vials have lot numbers and people should be looking at lot numbers. Perhaps there's a correlation between, um, you know, increased amount of adverse events and a certain lot number. Um, but to have no discussion whatsoever and for people to completely and blindly believe that this um, thing is as safe as air and water um, when they have no historical data to, to back that up. How do we tease out, this, this is something I've been asking for lately and I'm, I'm shocked that it's not sort of priority one. How do we tease out what's COVID, what's vaccine, what's vaccine and COVID? Because any one of those could be the main culprit or it could be distributed across, who knows? It could be any possibility because they seem to have done nothing to answer that basic question. Well, they'll point at things and go, see, it's all COVID. Uh, unvaccinated people have less this, less that. It, really poor observational sort of correlational studies. They need to do the real studies to decide what's COVID, what's COVID plus vax, what's vax, what's booster. Uh, maybe there's a there's a corollary. Maybe it's just the boosting. Uh, but I, I, well, don't you agree with me that we got to answer that question priority one? Yes, absolutely. And before the the majority of of the force was vaccinated, um, one of the things I I was kind of screaming from the rooftops um, was that we needed to to check for antibodies and we needed to see if people had already been exposed to COVID. And I knew that if we did not get those lab results on people before we vaccinated them, that this is exactly where we would be, where people would would always, the pharmaceutical companies and the people that push this would always have the excuse, well, this was COVID. And I encouraged everyone I could, um, if, you, if, if I can't dissuade you from getting this, um, I, I encouraged people to at least go, even if it cost um, money out of their own pocket, and get tested and see if they had antibodies to COVID, so that um, if they got sick later on, and people tried to say no, it was it was just COVID. You could say nope. This is you know this is the day before I got my vaccine and it was negative. Um, but um, and it could and, my surprise and it could still be yeah yeah I, I could be some variation of that, but your surprise. I'm sorry. To my surprise, I was I was ordered not to order antibody tests on anyone. That um, we were not supposed to do that. Which so, it's so weird. I, so I, yeah. Let me let me cycle back, circle back around, and and talk to you as a public health official, as somebody with training in public health at least. 
what's going on? What happened to our public health <laughs> officials? What what is I, I'm so confused, and I've been confused for two years, and, and confused about different things every step along the way. The, one of the first things that confused me was the um, the mandating, you know, and the lack of risk reward, and the certain the certitude, and uh, and and the use of fear; those things were just astonishing to me. What's go, what do you think's going on here now? Well, I don't mass psychosis. Um, I will tell you that I have seen is is even in providers. Um, you had all these providers that jumped on this bandwagon, and uh, they you know they they had all their virtue signal. And they felt really great because they were, you know, doing their part and they did not put in the time to sit down and read, not what the CDC was telling them or what Anthony Fauci was telling them, but, but actually sit down and read the, the scientific literature and, and look at the studies um, and, and do their own research. They didn't. So now they're in the position where they have promoted this as safe and effective. Um, and they've staked their, their reputations on that and they don't know how to, to, um, admit the, that they recommended to their friends and their family and their patients, something that is not safe and effective. And they're going to be serious. I, I, it, won't be, it wouldn't be the first time, it wouldn't be the first time a medicine came out or treatment came out and after widespread use, we found out there were some problems with it. I've been through many cycles of all kinds of medication that have been in that category. Yeah. Why suddenly this one, we we behave totally differently. It's so weird. And by the way, I, I certainly wouldn't ask those same people to to come off their position completely. I, I still, although Dr. Victory disagreed with me, I still think that in the elderly population, I think I know what I'm doing when I'm vaccinating and boosting. Uh, I'm not as worried with the younger females, but there are some concerns there. I'm just worried about this one population with the younger males where there's a very heavy signal that everybody's seeing, but everyone's ignoring. And and why to say, hmm, now after we've spread it out, we've used it widely, a billion, you know, we're starting to see a signal. We have to refine our risk reward or at least be able to do better informed consent even. Why is that? Why is just getting to that place so impossible? Um, I think we have seen this, this, um, momentum in a direction that was not science-based and, um, and it, it's really quite astonishing to me that, um, any, any dissension from this was stamped out immediately. And there was a, a swift and brutal response to anyone who tried to speak up. And just say, hey, you know, there is a long litany of of history of the pharmaceutical companies um, being sued, having to take drugs off the market. And somehow this has become a sin to even, you know, mention that there might be a problem here. And uh, and I I don't know how we um, step back from this, but I you know, it's just like I teach my kids, you know, Think very carefully before you do something that that um, is a one-way direction. Take it back, and it's going to have um, uh, second and third order consequences. But I think um, to motivate people from a medical treatment out of fear um, 
was a huge driver in the wrong direction because uh, fear is a very powerful motivator. But I would tell you on the battlefield, if we had bad intelligence and we were working off bad intelligence and soldiers were getting slaughtered uh, and we realized we had bad intelligence, we would not, for ego's sake, say, let's keep going with this game plan. Let's keep moving forward. We would find good intelligence um, and we would we would have to pivot from where we were at if we wanted uh, to win that battle. And that's something uh, I'm seeing people will not do is, is when they realize there's a mistake that has been made here um, and, and not even go into the backstory of, of why we're at where we're at, but this is where we're at. And clearly there, the safety signals are there and we need to pivot and people don't want to. People, I, I'm not sure who the people are necessarily. I don't know if you can necessarily comment on that, but it is, well, the fact that fear was systematically used to me already is an ethical problem. That, that is, I've never, ever, uh, I mean, I guess we did a little bit of that back in the AIDS epidemic, but it was done it actually it didn't work. And we finally realized that the way to do it was to use humor and music and relatable stories of people with these conditions and, you know, tell narratives. Uh, and all that was actually a, a discipline that developed of how to change health behaviors, particularly in young people. And it was, you know, shown very clearly that authoritarianism and fear, no, did not really work. Now we're trying to get the entire population on board quickly in the case of this pandemic. And, and I understand why they might've used some fear, but they should have at least been contemplating the risk reward of that and the ethics of that. And it seems to have not been a, a, something that was contemplated and is currently not contemplated, which is, again, I, I worry that public health officials are being trained in ways that are problematic because it was so, yeah. it wasn't ubiquitous, but it was so commonplace amongst even the, the local and county level uh, health, mental health professionals, so-called. Well, when you when you train in public health, um, they train you about messaging in in a disaster situation that um, there has to be one unified message that is repeated and regurgitated at nauseum. Uh, an unfortunate long message, and so um, is it possible? It is, is it possible that 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 technique? is from a day of a completely different media landscape of sort of broadcast radio and television rather than the current IP to IP kind of communication that goes on in which there is ample opportunity to say, to explain your position yes. and not just put it as a, as a shibboleth out there, be afraid, shelter in place. That's, that is the most disgusting, unless there was an incoming nuclear, you know, <laughs> uh, missile. I, 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 it's the most disgusting thing I ever saw. Do you agree with me? I do. And, and, um, a lot of people, when it comes to aerospace medicine, um, you know, a lot of people ask me like, what do you do? Uh, so, you know, our entire focus is on the health of pilots. And um, I always tell people there's there's two populations of people that just can't take everything and anything that's over the counter, pregnant women, and and pilots, right? Uh, you pilot mm -hmm. can't take a Benadryl 
and just go fly. Um, that, yeah. that could cause a major air disaster. So when I think the most alarming thing for me was to see um, this complete deviation from all of our risk management principles and aerospace medicine decision-making. And so when, I will never forget when Peter McCullough called me one day and he said, uh, Colonel Long, the CDC is about to have an emergency meeting about um, the increased incidence of myocarditis in young, healthy males. And he said, this is your population. Oh my gosh, you guys have to, you have to hit the brakes. You can't do this. And the risk of sudden cardiac death. Now, so to a, a flight surgeon or anybody in aerospace medicine, um, the thing that actually just is terrifying to us is something, sudden incapacitation that is unpredictable mm -hmm. is, is the thing that we are hypervigilant about because, um, you know, you're talking about having X number of souls in the back of the aircraft that are dependent on that pilot. And so, you know, that was the thing that really caught my attention was that we were putting our young, healthy males at this increased risk of myocarditis, which put them at an increased risk of sudden cardiac death. And when you look at the literature and you see that most people with myocarditis don't have any symptoms and that this, like, potentially the only way to truly know whether or not they had myocarditis is, is a very, very expensive cardiac MRI or a cardiac biopsy. And um, you realize quickly, this is a nightmare. We, we don't want to go down this path of having to get these super expensive cardiac MRIs um, on every single pilot to ensure that, that they're safe to fly after every, you know, six months uh, and uh, after every vaccination. But there was no relenting. And I will tell you, I talked to um, a very senior cardiologist for the FAA very early on, um, and he completely agreed with my entire assessment that we had to stop vaccinating pilots, that this was a disaster. And um, the FAA has pushed I would forward add, with I, that. I, I would add, and and document more clearly the cardiopulmonary effects of COVID uh, in the intermediate to long term. Both those questions for pilots need to be answered, right? Because uh, we, we're yeah, now so into the endemic and people seem to seem to have lost track of what endemic means, which means we all get it and we all get it more than once. That's the way it is. And so I still hear people say, I can't believe I got it. Yeah. Okay. You're going to get it. But uh, Dr. Long, we're going to take a little break here. I want to bring Dr. Kelly Victory okay. in as soon as possible. I, I appreciate your your forthcoming with this. It's a very interesting conversation. More to be revealed. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long. Want to give the gift that keeps on giving? Genucel Skincare keeps everyone on your holiday list looking young and refreshed. And who doesn't need that type of luxury, especially over the holiday season? Genucel has so many products that Susan and I love. Genucel's XV Moisturizer locks in moisturizer on top of the serums, making dry spots a thing of the past, especially great with the colder climate and all the dryness of our skin, right? And with GenuCell's Immediate Effect 2 eye cream, you can see the results in as little as 12 hours, guaranteed or your money back. Susan loves GenuCell's DFS Vitamin C Serum, the new Deep Firming Serum, as well as the Hyaluronic with C and Lactic Acid, 
which hydrates your skin and makes fine lines a thing of the past while hopefully preventing future wrinkles from forming. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time, and I'm so excited because it's actually working. Take advantage of amazing holiday savings by going to genucel.com, and you will get 60% off with a special holiday stocking stuffer when you subscribe to my favorites package at genucel.com slash Drew, and all orders are upgraded to free shipping for the rest of the holiday season. We will get it there quickly. Use code Drew at checkout for an extra 10% off your entire order. That is genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Drew. Economic turmoil has a lot of people wondering what our government will do next. Will it be more wasteful spending, higher taxes? How do you protect your hard-earned savings? The answer could be gold. Gold is the world's oldest, most proven form of currency. It's there when inflation soars and when other assets go sideways. And that's why Birch Gold is thrilled to introduce a new product that reimagines gold as currency, the gold back. This month, you'll get a free gold back for every $5,000 purchased when you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA with Birch Gold by December 22nd, Susan's birthday, incidentally. Birch Gold will help you own gold and silver in a tax-sheltered account. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists. Reminder, I do not give financial advice. This is not financial advice, but you can go to Birch Gold and with every purchase you make before December 22nd, you'll get a free gold pack. This is a stocking stuffer just in time for Christmas. Once again, visit birchgold.com slash Drew. Protect your savings with gold today. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. This episode ends here. The rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv. There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate of public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew. Welcome, Dr. Kelly Victory. I'm Thanks know you're for ready having to get me. At this. I am. I Maybe am. we should t- tell the story of uh, your relationship with uh, Lieutenant Colonel I, Long. I, that's what I was going to start with, Dr. Long. Thanks so much for being here, particularly uh, right before the holidays. I know you've got to be super busy. Um, you came on my radar um, about a year ago, really just about a year ago now, based on the uh, testimony in front of Congress. Uh, and I'm going to get into the weeds with you on actually some of these adverse events and the, and the actual data, but I wanted to frame it up for people uh, how that happened. But uh, one of the thing that got me permanently banned from Twitter was actually posting a link to your sworn testimony in front of Senator Ron Johnson's uh, committee called a second opinion. Is. And when I posted the link to that uh, testimony, uh, I, I set off a firestorm of just vitriolic hateful uh, commentary, people gunning for me. And within uh, 36 hours, I think I was 
permanently banned from Twitter and uh, remain in Twitter jail. Uh, I find it amusing that of all things they would call misinformation, a link to sworn congressional testimony um, is is what uh, is misinformation in the mind of some uh, Twitter fact checker. Uh, anyway, to, to, before I get into the weeds with you on the data, I want to frame it for people a little bit, what it was that you were reporting. In, I was on every news network that would have me when your testimony became live reporting on this. You and two of your other career military physician colleagues, brave people that you are, believed that you were seeing increases in certain categories of medical conditions, blood clots, fertility issues, neurologic issues, myocarditis, those sorts of things. Rather than running around like a bunch of bandy roosters screaming, this is what we're seeing, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, you took the time to reference DMED, the Defense Military Epidemiology Database, something that you have access to that Dr. Drew and I do not because you're in the military. You were able to look back historically over a five-year period and calculate the average incidence on an annual basis of these different categories of things, heart attacks, strokes, miscarriages, fertility issues, Bell's palsy, whatever it was, and you compared it to the incidence that you were seeing in calendar year 2020. And in fact, it was only 11 months of it, as I recall, because you only did it through November at the time you said, holy bejesus, this is what we're seeing. And the numbers that I put in that tweet that you uh, testified to were things like a 470% increase in blood clots to the lung, a 300% increase in miscarriages, a 270% increase in myocard in uh, heart attacks, and on and on. So it was truly something that I think you did that was stunningly not only brave, but insightful to not just say, we think we're seeing this. But to say, here are the numbers. We know what we're seeing is real. So that's where you came onto my radar a year ago. Nice to finally get some time to talk with you one-on-one. -on -one. Talk about that data, that process of what you and your colleagues did, what the process was, how you came to the decision to look into it and take it from there. Sure. Um well, I started to see unusual things in a very young, healthy population and having epidemiology and, and public health background, um, it, it quickly caught my attention. And you can call around to other colleagues and say, hey, what are you seeing? And, and it's a lot of anecdotal, yes, we're seeing unusual things. But um, very fortunately for me, uh, when I was getting my master's in public health, through the military, um, I was given access to the Defense Epidemiology Database uh, for my research project. And it was a year-long research. And um, so I used the database very extensively. I was trained on how to use it. And so basically in the database, um, all across the entire Department of Defense, we use one electronic medical record system. So it doesn't matter if you're in Afghanistan or Texas, um, all those records are accessible. And so what the DMED does is it takes ICD codes or international of disease that are specific to a disease, injury, or illness, and you can 
query this database and and it's really a pretty amazing database. You could um, narrow it down and see how many um, how many pilots on Fort Rucker had pulmonary embolisms, you know, during the a certain period of time or whatever. You could look all the way across the DOD. You could look at just females, just uh, Hispanics. I mean, it's really uh, pretty amazing. But when I was told that that um, they were not tracking, tracing, or monitoring adverse events, um, I, I became very concerned that what I was seeing locally was was not just local. Um, and one day I was sitting there and um, kind of thought, well, I wonder if I still have access to the DMED. Um, it's been uh, several years since I completed my research. And I did. And I sat down and I started putting in everything I was seeing. And the numbers were coming back just horrific. Um, and, and we rolled out the VAC in the military in January of 2021. And so 10 months into 2021, the, the, the numbers were off the charts. And um, I called up Colonel Chambers and asked him, like, hey, tell me some things you're seeing. And I, and I started pulling those codes and asked him to take a look at the DMED. Asked Major Sam Sigaloff and, and uh, Lieutenant uh, Mark Bashaw to look in the database. And we couldn't believe what we were seeing. And all of what we were putting in were consistent with the things that we were seeing. Um, and, and you, you know, we kind of racked our brains. Um, it was very nerving because the data was so catastrophic. Um, my my attorney was uh, very fearful for my life and um, how we would get that data into someone who could do something about it or look into it. And um, so we ended up uh, bringing that that data to Senator Johnson, Ron Johnson, and. Um, Within a few hours, um, Moderna lost $140 billion in stock. So it's pretty concerning. Yeah. Well, and, and ju again, just to put this in perspective for people who are listening, when you reported, for example, a 300% increase in cancers, it was based on uh, compared to the the annual average, a 300 percent increase in calendar year 2021. It wasn't an increase from one case on average to three. It was an increase right. from 38,000 cases on average to 140,000 cases. Okay, so these were these were orders of magnitude. These were not small numbers. Statistics, uh, as people you know know, can be very deceptive. If you say 300% increase and you mean from one case a year to three, it doesn't mean much. But you were talking in the tens of thousands of cases, and I assume that was the case for the other categories of illnesses as or conditions as well. Yes, and things like, for example, pulmonary embolisms. Um, what the general public may not understand is is the prevalence, meaning how much disease, what, how many pulmonary embolisms a population has over a period of time is very consistent. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, so I could actually take, when people started saying the data was uh, fabricated or made up, 
um, be- before we ever released it, we looked and we crunched the numbers and we said, okay, what is, what is the prevalence of pulmonary embolisms in this age group? And we calculated out what we should be seeing in, 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 uh, in the military population. And that was consistent with the 2016 to 2020 numbers. And, and then you look at 2021 and it's, it, it, it wouldn't make sense. Um, so, you know, in, in retrospect, people said, well, the 2021 data was accurate, but there was a supposedly for five years um, in our surveillance system uh, that was underreported. So they went back and they elevated all the previous year's numbers. But for something like that, you would say, so you mean to tell me that um, in the military, we've always had uh, uh, pulmonary embolisms like, you know, 10 times the national average and the national average, including people all the way 90 years old. So are, are we to believe that our military has always been sicker than the general population and we just <laughs> didn't realize it? Um, and, and that's... Well, that, I want to push I back believe. a little bit right there, Dr. Long, if you don't mind, just a, just a little <clears throat> bit of pressure right there, which is I would expect you to have at least more DVT with the prolonged you know position in a cockpit or a flight deck for long periods of time. I, I would in, I would Im- imagine that pilots would have a higher incidence, even though they're younger, certainly higher than their cohort of the same <laughs> age when the prolonged sitting and whatnot and lack of mobility. But but the other thing is, and just, just going to share my own observation, I didn't have personally have not seen a lot of DVT from vaccine, but I saw a lot of DVT from COVID, a lot, when they were acutely ill, not subsequently. Well, um, I would tell you that if you actually the database can go all the way back to 1990. And um, so the database was not just looking at pilots. It was looking at everyone from uh, across the board. So, um, so, you know, we're a younger, healthier population um, with less comorbidities than the, the general public. Um, so it wasn't just one ICD code, it was numerous ICD right. codes. And um, the other thing we did right. is we looked at ICD codes that we had no pathophysiologic basis to believe would increase with COVID or the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't tell you what we, we ran numerous of them um, and they, they were steady, please steady, no, no increase. Right. Um, and so, I mean, we did a lot of queries and a lot of consulting um, specialists. Yeah. So, and I was I was so, really very very impressed with what with what you did with this. So you come up with this data now, and it wasn't just one or two categories of things. It was many, and as you said, you compared it to other things that you wouldn't expect to have an increase in incidence of appendicitis or whatever else, and, and lo and behold, those were very stable, uh, as you'd predict. So you take this information of Senator Ron Johnson, who, by the way, as an aside, is one of the only people in Washington doing anything about anything. Um, God bless him for his efforts. You bring this to him. What was the response of the military? Talk about that process. I can't imagine, you know, so you've got this trove of data that you're about to blow it wide open. Talk about what was their response? 
Nothing. Nothing. So they didn't say, we want to look at it with you. We want to no. understand it. They, these are our pilots that are, you know, in charge of some pretty important things. Um, nobody Nothing. wanted to discuss it with you. Not a single to person. Day, out. To, to, to this, this day, day, have they? No. Uh, and um, I did go on to, to um, pretty much demand to meet with, with a senior leader and laid it out for him. And um, I, I just saw the blood drain out of his face as I brought the numbers and, and laid out for him meticulously um, a lot more data than, than the general public has seen and reasons why the data was credible. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, as this person told me, if, if what you're saying is true, and if this data is true, I'm going to make it right. And I'm like, you can't make this right. right. It's been injected into all of these people. It, it can't be undone, but we can start screening. We can start setting uh, a screening process in place to make sure that we uh, identify any potentially deadly um, things like myocarditis early. And um, but but I think what is the bigger story is the complete absence of dialogue about this. And um, many people would tell you, uh, myself, Pete, Sam. Um, we literally prayed we were wrong on this uh, because it was probably the most painful couple, you know, to, to, for me to realize what I was seeing um, in, in my local population was, was part of a much bigger picture. And, um, and being in, in the position of how do I, um, how do I protect soldiers? And, and how do we get this information to people who will do something about it? Well, I, I certainly share that, that uh, sentiment. I get no joy out of being right about this because the implications are, are horrific. Um, and one of the reasons that this platform, you know, for me came into my being on this platform with Drew came into being was because of the egregious censorship that has happened, the total lack of dialogue uh, that before COVID, robust, vigorous debate was a cornerstone of medicine and something that we really um, took pride in, and it has been absolutely non-existent, as as you know. You and I were speaking a couple weeks ago. We we were talking about some blood work that you do routinely on soldiers, uh, and your ability to determine whether or not somebody. Uh, perhaps may not be vaccinated on the basis of routine blood work that that you're running. Talk a little bit about that. Um, I've been pretty surprised to see um, a suppression in the white blood cell count, neutrophils and lymphocytes, and not just in, in one or two people, but numerous people. And, um, and it, so, and I've had, um, the occasion where it indicates that somebody may be vaccinated, but that's completely normal. And, um, and let's just say, uh, reasonably they, you know, there were not 
maybe vaccinated. Um, but I, I have never to see um, that consistently across the board in, in numerous young people and not just one abnormal lab, but repeated labs are abnormal um, is, is concerning. I've, I've probably in my career looked at I don't know, tens of thousands uh, of, of CBCs, and I have not seen this many abnormal CBCs um, in my whole 15 years prior. Um, to this year. So I still have that again. same lingering question though, guys. The lingering question is COVID, COVID plus vaccine, vaccine plus COVID, just vaccine. Can you, can you tease any of that out for us? Um, I never, I honestly, I never saw any of that um, with this consistency before the vaccine was rolled out. But interestingly enough, um, at, the, at the most recent discussion uh, with Senator Johnson, Dr. Ryan Cole talked about how in the tissue samples, what he sees is a ton of neutrophils and lymphocytes within the tissue. Yeah. And uh, made me start realizing maybe all of those are getting sequestered into there. But Dr. Drew, you bring up right. a very important right. point that correlation does not mean causation. Right. But we are not talking about this. We are not looking at this. And right out the That's beginning, my concern. I, my concern was that they had the studies that showed, um, they said, you know, we're vaccinating all of these people because the risk of getting myocarditis from COVID infection is what we're preventing with this vaccine. And I said, well, okay, the risk of myocarditis is 2.3%. Um, but what and then when we we had the CDC come in and say there was a r increased risk with vaccine, my big concern is is it synergistic? What is the fact? Right. Because mm -hmm. now when I've mm -hmm. seen ninety eight percent of the people COVID positive in the last year are fully vaccinated, and they've gotten mm -hmm. two bouts of COVID. Now we're talking about people with three and four risk factors for myocarditis. And I don't know, does that put them at a 30% increased risk, um, a 20%? Right. I, I don't know, but we like to, there's no way uh, for me to do risk mitigation when, when I'm being completely blind. And so to, since we don't have the data to completely ignore that that it is a concern and it is a risk and just not talk about it. It's not acceptable. So take us um, to, I, I'm sorry, I was going to say, take, take us to, to the perspective of the soldier. You know, you, you're a career military physician. <clears throat> Are you personally, how does it work in the army? Do, do soldiers come to you to get a required vaccine or is there like a vaccine clinic and then, and they just go there and get that done. And so you, or are you personally responsible for, for giving these mandated vaccines and either way, what is your conversation with these, the average soldier? Are they gung ho? Yeah. Feeling awesome that they got to get their, you know, their fifth booster or are they not keen on this, but are doing it to keep a job? What's talk a little bit about that whole thing. 
Sure. So we have we have vaccine clinics. So uh, generally, we keep track that um, we have a, a dashboard that shows us if they're deficient in getting their HIV annual test drawn or or their immunizations up to date and those types of things. So we're aware if someone's deficient in a in a immunization, but we do not. We are generally not the people who um, do the immunization. Now, when the vaccine mandate um, came down, it, historically, we have a list of reasons why someone could be exempted from the vaccine. To include a disinfection demonstrated by antibodies. Um, and for this vaccine, all, for, for COVID, all of a sudden, natural immunity didn't count. And um, all of a sudden, um, you know, people who had an allergy to polyethylene glycol, um, they, that didn't count. And so all of a sudden we're deviating again from longstanding procedures and policies um, with no explanation why. And um, I was, I was um, forbidden from having uh, any say on whether or not um, people I was responsible for got a medical exemption and, um, and you, when you, all of these deviations that don't make sense, uh, really start to raise a lot of flags about why all of a sudden natural immunity, um, is not a reason to not vaccinate somebody. And why are we, why aren't we checking antibodies, um, on people? So one of the, th yeah. One of the things I was, you know, it occurred to me before this conversation was that all three of us, you, uh, Dr. Drew, and I, all took a Hippocratic oath. We we share that in common. We not only all went to medical school and did residencies, but we all took the same oath. Uh, I have on top of that, I, I have a very strong faith. I, I don't, um, it's something that I haven't discussed with Drew, but I have a very strong faith that keeps me grounded in my, my medical practice. But you answer to a third, very uh, powerful, <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know, authority, uh, namely, you know, the commander in chief, you, you answer to a third component that that I do not. Um, how have you balanced that, your medical oath and ethics and training, uh, along with your commitment, um, your, your oath to the government to, and to the military? Well, that's easy. Um, for me, I obey God and I leave the consequences to him. Um, my morals, my ethics uh, are not, um, they're not for sale. And um, I won't compromise them. And, you know, I, before I ever came out publicly, um, I had brought my concerns high up in the Defense Health Agency and on the spot was given a medical exemption. Um, and once I came forward as a whistleblower, um, I lost that exemption. And, um, but I had told my family, um, look, I have to do this. It, it may cost me my medical license, pension, um, any, any other in the military and my wings, but I have to do this and I'm willing to lay all of that down um, because I, you cannot compromise here. Um, I 
I will not compromise the health and safety of service members um, for any narrative or agenda or it, 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 it's absolutely the hill I'll, I'll die on. Um, and I think, uh, I, I don't really understand why other people um, indifferent to, to what, what is going on and why other people would compromise that. So they took away uh, we, you know, your have- medical exemption? They they they, they yes. removed your medical exemption when you when you released this data. Oh. It was it was supposed to be for <clears throat> for a time and and um and then I was told that 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 duration was was no longer going to be um, respected, and and that's mm-hmm. nothing I didn't uh, you know I didn't think that it was appropriate for me to get an exemption when other people with the same you know, concerns wouldn't get an exemption. So I've, I've filed for a religious accommodation request. Um, I've already gotten the first denial back and, um, you know, it, and it, we weren't talking about a handful of soldiers. We were talking about, um, upwards of 250,000 soldiers who were facing being kicked out of the military. And a lot of people don't realize that right out the bat, Anyone who was in a command position was told that if they did not get vaccinated or they would not order their soldiers to get vaccinated, they were immediately relieved of their command. So right out the bat, you got rid of any critical thinkers. You got rid of anyone who um, had concerns about about this vaccine. That and that to me is one of the yeah, scariest indeed. parts of it is that when you you call the herd uh, of anybody who actually is capable of um, of having critical thinking or ha- or dares yeah. to dares to ask a question. I'm sorry, Drew, I cut you off twice. I we we have uh, I just noticed there are a lot of hands up in the uh, Twitter spaces, and there was uh, another physician on hand here. Can we take a question? Sure. You guys up for that or comment? Yeah. We'll see what she wants to say. Uh, Mary, I want to give you a chance to speak. You have to mute, unmute yourself in the lower left-hand corner. There you are. What do you have in mind? I don't know why we're not hearing her. Sometimes a little delay mm-hmm. on some of this. Uh, Mary, maybe your Caleb, can you help us with this? I'm looking at, I don't see any sound coming from her yet, so she might not have mm-hmm. unmuted herself. She looks unmuted, but I think the mic not, may not be working or some such thing. Well, uh, there we go. There was my big plan to get some some uh, questioning going in but, here. But I, yeah, but uh, I, I think this issue, though, it, what you're bringing up, uh, Doctor Long, is really uh, critical. The idea that that we are calling the herd of anybody who would ask questions is happening not just in the military; it's happening in healthcare as well. When you start removing everybody from you know the hospital staff and re, you know relieving people of their admitting oh, yeah. privileges if they Crazy. dare to ask questions. All you're left with is a bunch of robots. I'm sorry, that sounds like Mary. Hi, Mary. Hi, Dr. Drew. Nice to talk to you. You as well. Um, I'm a a doctor in Dallas, and I'm just listening to to Colonel Long's story. And um, it's just unbelievable that, um, that she's having to go through this. But I wanted to tell you that every doctor who, um, 
who represented this as safe and effective without doing research needs to go back and do a lot of research and, you know, look at the population that it clearly the risks outweigh the benefits in many of the population. Um, and for her to sacrifice her career in honor of her oath, her Hippocratic oath, and um, to step forward and do what she's done in order to um, support her patients and do no harm, I think is just um, what we all should be doing. And I commend her for that. And um, and Mary, let me interrupt I, you. I, I would even say there's, there's a simpler middle ground for physicians who are uncertain about those risk populations and these signals is to just go and say, hey, it's hard for me to give you fully informed consent because we haven't really formed, yes. finished the evaluation yet. The data is suggesting things. I, it's really about the consent process in the meantime. You, you, you could also choose not to give them to certain populations where you're seeing a signal, but at the very minimum, raise the issue right. with the patient. Like we're, mm, there are doctors that are concerned. There's research that needs to be done. You know, as, as we make this decision together, let's talk about these things. And and then right. I'm and perfect. I, I even will say things like, look, I'm, I hear a lot about these problems. And so I might be a little biased by it. Uh, if you really are hell bent at getting the vaccine, I will support you in that, but I want to make sure you're fully informed before you do it. Exactly. And that's how I handled it in my practice. Um, yes. Lieutenant Colonel. Um, yeah. And Dr. Drew, I would say that that was one of the, the starting points was really Dr. McCullough called me and I read the information, hey, oh, thank God we have um, this renowned cardiologist calling us with, with you know, information um, that could impact us. I immediately asked at the very minimum, I was mortified to go in to work the next day, see the immunization clinic up and running without pause. And I asked in a series of emails, could we at least hear that everyone was uh, getting informed consent about this risk of myocarditis, that there was a pending meeting, that there's there's forthcoming information. And um, I, I was reported for that um, and, and got me into a lot of trouble for even asking um, if, if they could have informed consent. And I came from a place where um, when you only have across the entire DOD, only 93 soldiers deaths attributed to COVID. We have meticulous record keeping system. So I was saying, unlike the general public, we could literally 25 year old down and say, across the DOD, we had zero 25 year olds that are African American, you know, everything about your demographics that died from COVID um, versus this vaccine. Right. Um, in which we have this these emerging trends from bears, and now we have concern for this age group with this uh, CDC meeting. Um, that that would the idea of formed consent was um, no, and soldiers and and despite what people think, we do not forfeit all of our rights when we go into service. We are not slaves. Um, we are not big farms lab rats. We're not. We, we are the sons and daughters of this country that um, people have loaned and, uh, you know, for serving our country, not for serving um, any kind of uh, interest in, in, in the pharmaceutical company. 
So and, and Mary um, is the, is the it, fourth it physician in this little little group. I just want to say, isn't it so odd to you as it is to the three of us? I'm, guess, I'm guessing you feel the same way. Yes, well, absolutely. I, my my complaint has never been about the speed or the or even the technology. I understand why we rushed it. My problem always was was informed consent, mm -hmm. and even my ability to find research was so hampered by the censoring that I couldn't even give informed consent, not for lack of trying. I literally dedicated hundreds of hours to trying to answer this question. I knew that I would have to ask every single patient, you know, we would have to have this discussion about what, what the benefits and risks would be. Mm -hmm. And the science was so incredibly censored and so difficult to come by. And, um, but you know, I would even push back. I would push that there were certainly. I was Great, say, I would push back. I, I, I would push back even on the quote need to rush it. Uh, there's a need to rush it only if you continue to suppress the fact that there are readily available, safe and very effective treatments. Uh, it was only because they continued to promote the idea that there is no treatment for COVID. They continued to censor anybody who talked about using fluvoxamine or inhaled steroids, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, uh, all of the, the huge cocktail of medications that we knew really from the very beginning, within a matter of weeks, we knew that those things were effective. Uh, Peter McCullough had already put together a protocol within a matter of less than two months in the start of the pandemic, we had a protocol for treating it. So the illusion of the, the the necessity for you know rapidly pushing this vaccine was really based on uh, continuing with the therapeutic nihilism and denying the existence of safe, readily available medications. Well, and Kelly, and, and, I know, think I'm just to, uh, the, go ahead. Doc, the point for, I would for, I think is important to make: informed consent is even more important in the military setting because yeah. only the president yeah. of the United States can waive informed consent of service members. And uh, so you cannot force a service member to take an EUA product without mm -hmm. a waiver from the, from the president of the United States. Uh, we have never, that waiver has never been issued. So now you're talking about a population of people who can be ordered to do something uh, with the threat of of everything from negative action to imprint for disobeying an order. So wow. informed consent was paramount. Um, and you cannot just say, you know, they're in the service. They don't have any rights. Just stand in line, shut up, take your shot. And um, who ultimately pays when these service members are injured is the American taxpayer is going to be paying their disability, yeah. not the pharmaceutical right. companies but the American taxpayer who's paying the medical bills when they are injured and they have to receive a lot of medical care, it's the American taxpayers. And again, the pharmaceutical companies aren't, are, are getting off scot-free. No, I, I agree with you. And, and I uh, also have said we, ha we have enjoyed, Drew, for decades now, we have enjoyed um, not having a draft. You know, we have not had any selective service mm -hmm. for decades now. Um, with the exodus of young, healthy military recruits and the hesitance of people to join the military because they don't want to be forced to take a vaccine that they either don't want or don't need because they've already gotten uh, natural immunity. 
uh, that's a real problem. I would not be surprised if this vaccine mandate for the military ultimately translates into a reinstitution of the draft as we have uh, simply not enough service members to run a military uh, that's capable of defending this country. Crazy. Super crazy. Yes. I want to circle back to the early treatment stuff. And you and I, you and I have sort of disagreed on that the whole way in our relationship. <laughs> but I do want to, I always want to keep people updated on my thinking because I, what I've always said was, you know, I, I, I saw people using all those things at the early part of the pandemic and I'm, I'm not sure they did anything. People got really sick, still got really sick. And the Paxlovid really interrupts that. But I have to tell you now, I have seen so much rebound from packs of it. I'm getting very concerned about it. And the rebounds are nasty. And so under 65, I'm increasingly convinced that, that is a wrong drug. There's still Molnupiravir if you want to try something like that. But uh, the the my my feelings of packs of it have shifted a little bit. And so I just wanted to update as, as I talk about these things. Well, there's a reason well, I call I it Paxlovoid. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that, um, you know, why we wouldn't entertain those things early on um, right. I, I, is simply mind boggling. It was weird. And I remember going weird, to yeah. a senior leader, going to a senior leader and saying before the vaccine rolled out and everyone's terrified that they're, they're going to die. I said, why don't we try chloroquine and offer it to right. everyone? And we can gather enough data. We are a small, uh, a small population, um, but enough for a study. We could gather all that data. And by the time the vaccine rolls out here or so, we'll know whether or not it works. It's not going to harm anybody, but we'll definitely know if it, if it helped. And the answer is just no. And right. so, weird. you know, if, if you're the whole truly thing is in so such weird. a, if you're in such an emergency that, that, you know, you have to go at the speed of science. Um, wouldn't you try everything in your <laughs> toolbox? This no. doesn't make sense. Oh, so Kelly, where, we, where we do have you, to kind where, of drift towards the, we have to, yeah, we kind of start to move towards wrapping up here. So I'm going to leave it in your hands I, for a few minutes. Yes. I was, thank you. I was just going to ask Dr. Long, where, where do you go? from here. Uh, you've been incredibly brave. You're a, a COVID truth warrior. Um, I like to consider myself in that same that, that same boat. Uh, it hasn't been easy. I'm sure you have suffered the slings and arrows as well. Where, where do you go from here? Um, well, I'm going to keep pushing forward, trying to take care of soldiers. I think repealing um, the vaccine mandate is not enough. Uh, a lot of damage has been caused to people's careers. Our, uh, like you said, our recruiting is absolutely failing. Um, we have a mass exodus of people leaving the service. We have um, people leaving because they're injured. Um, and so uh, the bigger question is, how, how do we recover from this? And um, whether I have a, a part in that recovery process in the military, I'm not sure. But I think people can see from Twitter and the Twitter files, um, this is big explosive stuff coming out on the Twitter files, and it's not being covered by any uh, news media networks. Just like when the DMED data came out, it wasn't covered by anyone. And, and I think it is... Um, the most accurate epidemiology database in the United States. 
and and all of the data and all of the information being completely ignored. Um, it's very concerning. Well, I certainly, I did my part. I have a very big mouth and I went on every news network that would have me, as I said, and exposed to that data. Um, and I will continue to do so. So I really appreciate you coming here because I think it's, it's, a, it's unique data. Uh, you had a, the ability to access epidemiologic uh, data that that the rest of us don't have just because of the uh, the unique nature of the way that the military captures uh, these <clears throat> ICD-9 codes. And I thought it was fascinating and a brilliant way to, to look at it. So hopefully it won't ultimately get ignored. Uh, hopefully they'll continue to delve into the weeds on it because it's important information. And uh, I thank you personally for being willing, not only brave enough to come here, uh, but smart enough to do that uh, data analysis. Well, I think I think and, and it I has just, to be said that that um, the data. Uh, what's more concerning that uh, potentially our surveillance system was glitching and defective for five years during the pandemic, right. or um, that right. the the data right. is um, accurate. Both of those are very concerning to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then back to Kelly's point, it's a uniform, healthy population specifically yeah. the group we are most concerned about in the short term i i hope you i the the something you said is ringing in my i always walk away with a, a, a you know a nugget of really important information and two things uh one when you said that uh the public health axioms have been about repeating these shibboleths these empty slogans with yeah. repetition and just nonsense and that just it's just not pertinent to the present moment the way the media system works today it's just ridiculous that that i took away that and the other thing that's ringing in my ear head is this that there's a senior cardiologist who turned pale in front of you whose ear you have i hope you can twist his arm yet again to try to get a few weeks of data. Let's get some data going in here. Let's get some perspective, something, uh, if it is all possible. But we do appreciate you coming in here very much. And I will tell you that throughout all these chat threads, we're looking at just universal praise for your courage at stepping up and doing what you believe to be right. Well, thank you. I, I uh, It would be great if Elon Musk would, would uh, put this out on Twitter space and and uh, and and take up this Twitter file that uh, never got tweeted out. I think. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at our Twitter yeah. Spaces here. I don't see him there, but maybe there's some other ones amongst the. Twitter <laughs> spaces. people there. There's a lot of people in Twitter Spaces right now, and uh, but again, I'm looking yeah, for Mr. Musk, and I don't see let, him. There. Let me out of jail. There are let, others. Let me out of jail. <laughs> maybe he's in there under <laughs> yeah, a secret account. Let me out of jail. I greatly appreciate um, uh, your guys' relentless effort to bring the truth out and, and to just openly have a dialogue about it. I think yeah. that is the concerning thing is the lack of dialogue um, and the lack of yep. curiosity. Yeah, it's, it's, it's odd. It's weird. It's, I, it's hard to understand as all three of us and Mary, the other physician that came up here, uh, we all had the same quarter, like the head shaking, which my head's been shaking for th yep. two and a half years now. But uh, <laughs> thank you, uh, Dr. Long. We'll let you go. Thank and, you for uh, your service. If we can help you and thank you for your service, thank you let you. us know, okay? All right, take care. And right. then Kelly, Bye. 
Kelly, you and I are in here tomorrow with uh, Steve Kirsch, yes. which will be an yep. interesting- For my birthday. It's Susan's birthday tomorrow as well. My so favorite guest. So it's Steve-, Steve uh, He Susan had us Steve. on, on uh, in YouTube jail a couple times, but- Yeah, every time we had Steve come on, we'd go <laughs> in YouTube jail. I but... just wanted to mention how good Kelly's skin looks today. <laughs> Thank I you. Noticed <laughs> she, she, I noticed it. I was like, whoa, did you- I'm now a genuine- Caleb, did yeah. you- I'm a genucell convert send, uh, now. Kelly, some genucell. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm a genucell. Yeah, yeah. I'm going back in time yeah, now. I'm I, reversing <laughs> the years. Yes, I'm. I, I'm a genucell convert, and I've got my my now beloved Dr. Drew Bobblehead. Thank you for that. Well, I'm going to line uh, them up. I received side it in the mail. Exactly. There you go. There they are. Two of them side by side. There by her. There's hers. There's mine. Merry Christmas. Woo, woo. There you go. Thank you. Thank wow. you. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'll be back thanks with for using uh, with, the product. Absolutely. Tomorrow, no, but but also, I'm going to tell you. I, I don't know if you've seen Asim Malhotra and the stuff he's been saying in in Britain and in in front of Parliament and whatnot. I had the chance to interview him on a podcast, and I've talked to him a couple times mm-hmm. since then. That you you know, as usual, I don't agree with everything he says, but but oh man, has he got a he's got a very compelling case. When you hear him speak, oh, uh, uh, it, he is he is. You heard him before? Oh, I, I yeah, I, I, that's why I invited him on. I think he's I think he's spectacular. I think he's he's you know he yeah. was a really really staunch vac- vaccine proponent through early on mm-hmm. and he yes. has yes he has done a 180 largely because of what he's seeing he's saying that w- the the signals are clear what we are seeing is unacceptable yeah. this must stop and so no he he will be a great guest and then as you said we've got uh a byron bridal coming up who just is got fascinating uh information he's in ontario uh and then we'll have dr ryan cole part two coming up in february uh, yep, and then i'm yep. sure we'll have some others in between but yeah really great great guests coming up and people again willing and brave enough to have the conversation um so hopefully people will make time for those shows I, i'm just shaking my head it's truly odd that it requires any sort of bravery it just it's just business it should be business as usual but here we well, are. well that's what i said when i first posted that and in, in re- referred to dr Teresa long lieutenant colonel long as a whistleblower i said how odd in in the past we used to just call them honest physicians you know not now they're now yeah. now she's they're uh, curious a, a or interested or, uh you know yeah, yeah. when you're 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 releasing data um, that you see as a physician. No one called you a whistleblower in the past. You know, you used to be just a truth teller. Yeah. Um, but times have. Or times we have didn't. Changed. We didn't even. We didn't even. We didn't even have a category. It just was. It was no. just what we did. So here's we the data. Shared right. data. Here's shared the, here's, information. Here's, right. I'm seeing right. something. Are you seeing something? I'm seeing something. Yeah. Uh, and that was exactly. it. Well, okay. No. So uh, Steve is. Uh, well, you know what I just keep thinking is if somebody designed this, this virus. You're getting paranoid. This is exactly on what they would want to do: take down the the Air Force. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it it it. See, and Susan, Susan somehow has a get little us to paranoid streak. She's been listening to us for too long. <laughs> I the communist plot always gets me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just can't help it. Uh, so, yeah, truth is stranger uh, than fiction. This here. is war, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to save our people, not make it worse. Well, we want we're looking for the truth, and uh, it, it's truth. Now, the this. the vaccine was good at the beginning because a lot of people were dying that we couldn't, you know, was 
running rampant. You know, you're having a hard time are, with some of think, your elderly well, patients. Point, so it was great for that. I don't it, think anybody, although Steve Kirsch will say this tomorrow. I, I Correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, let, let's put this out there. I, I'm not, we're not saying the vaccine is bad. We're saying it needs to be not given to 25 year old healthy groups, human maybe being. not given. It needs to be reconsidered. May, you may go as far as saying it needs to be halted while we examine more, whatever. But we're not saying that. Are we saying that? That's not my opinion. You tell me yours. I, well, I am saying that. I'm saying that the signals are so strong, are so overwhelming that we need to halt the vaccine mm. immediately. Um, I, 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 mm. I think there is absolutely no indication at this point for anyone to be getting it, given the strength of the uh, adverse event signals and given the fact that the new variants are so mild and given that we have ready access to effective treatments. So I think it's a three-pronged thing. The vaccines are unsafe. They aren't effective in stopping it. We have mild variants right now, and we've got other medications to treat it. I see no justification um, ethically, morally, scientifically for continuing it. Pull them off, do the studies, do the studies that should have been done before. And there may be a time in the future well, when we can relaunch them, uh, perhaps with some changes, but yeah. not right now. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to say my position is, and I think Steve Kirsch and Mulhatra is going to agree with you. Uh, my position is we accomplished a lot with them at great risk and with moderate amounts of harm, it appears. Uh, but we accomplished quite a bit. But to forge on with the kind of um, you know intensity and certitude is just seems nonsensical to me. To go, you yeah. know, you, yeah. you got to do it. it. Does not seem right to me. People want it; they should be able to get it. But this, this, it's not a mandate, but this near mandating and sort of. Uh, it's right. just, I don't know. Right. It, it doesn't seem wise to me. Okay. Well, there we go. Uh, Dr. Kelly Victory, we will see you in here tomorrow at three o'clock. Yes. We'll be back tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Thank you for your Thanks, service, sir. Kelly. <laughs> As I say, if this continues much longer, I'm going to need more than GenuCell. I'm going to need vodka. This is this, this <laughs> oh, is yeah, <laughs> well, tomorrow's Genucel. my birthday. So. <laughs> tomorrow's your birthday. All right. Well, Susan, get now. on that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay see you. All right. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye. -bye. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Yeah.